You know, we've all been given promises by politicians. See? Even as I say that, you guys get a smirk on your face. Because we've all come to know that promises offered by politicians more than likely are not going to come true. Now, sometimes you have to believe that they're just naively exuberant and excited and passionate. But they're naive, as I said, and they just really don't understand that they can't deliver on the promises when they get into office. Others, however, I think are downright set on buying you your vote. And so they're, they're telling you promises or giving you promises because they want your vote. They have no intention of fulfilling the promises. But as we just heard in the story of a promise is a promise, promises and what we say and the commitments that we make to each other are very important. Very important to God. And he really is very careful in outlining how important uh, our words are that we speak to each other. He says that our yes should be yes and our no, no, and, and that we should stay to our word. And it also says that we should be careful about making promises because, quite frankly, we're not very good at keeping them. It's not just the politicians. But Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And as this past fall we were studying the covenants, we were studying about a lot of promises that God made to the patriarchs over time. To Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses, so on and so forth. But one of the most key promises is this promise in Genesis 12 that God made to Abraham. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And of course we know that the fulfillment and the realization of that is the birth of Jesus Christ, which we've just celebrated. Jesus Christ is the one who blesses the whole world with the offer of salvation, with the offer of forgiveness, with the offer of reconciliation with the Holy God. But I wonder if any of you, like I, puzzle about how God can make such an ironclad commitment when it's not just Him involved. You see, in order for that promise to be fulfilled, the Israelites had to be faithful. They were cooperating, or they needed to cooperate in this plan. If Israel was to bless all the world, right, it's not just God Israel was not just a bunch of puppets. <laughs> it had to include people who were faithful as well and trustworthy as well. We know that God is trustworthy and reliable. But when a promise requires the cooperation of another party, 
In the case of Abraham and his family and, and the nation of Israel, ultimately, isn't the proposition not fraught with all kinds of peril? Because we have proven over and over again that we're not that reliable in keeping a promise. If you lived with my wife, Colleen, let me rephrase that. If you had the high privilege of living <laughs> with my wife, Colleen, you're taking this, are you, Dale? <laughs> you would have become very familiar or acquainted with uh, this. Those are pieces, scraps of material. My wife's a quilter, and so she will get all kinds of big sheets. I get to go to the quilting shop to buy these with her. Big pieces of cloth, and then she cuts them up and puts them together. But sometimes there's leftovers. Sometimes there are remnants. And this is the picture of remnants. And my wife has boxes of remnants. Quilters are notorious for having remnants lying around. I think the answer to how God can make an ironclad promise that all of the world will be blessed through Abraham's seed or his offspring, given the fact that humanity has such a bad track record of being faithful and trustworthy, I think that the answer to that seeming paradox is found in this idea of remnant. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of a remnant. Because God has always maintained a remnant. Quite frankly, if he hadn't maintained a remnant, we would have repeated like Groundhog Day, you know that annoying movie, Groundhog Day? <laughs> we would have repeated probably Noah's story over and 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 over again. Because we're just not that trustworthy, we're not that faithful, and you know, every millennia we need to be destroyed. But God maintains a remnant. Isn't that interesting? I want to just remind you of some of the instances in the Old Testament about how God, who had made a promise to Abraham that all people on earth would be blessed through his offspring, how he maintained a remnant so that he could keep his promise to Abraham. Here's an example. We find it in 1 Kings 19. At this point, Israel has become a, a, a great nation, but then, because of its unfaithfulness, had become a split nation. And the, it, the events that we're going to take a look at occurred in the northern kingdom known as Israel. It was all Israel, but they called themselves Israel, or it's called Israel in the Bible. And there was a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was called to confront the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's the guy, you remember, who had the big showdown with 
with Baal's prophets on Mount Carmel, and, and uh, he, he, he flaunted the greatness of God. And uh, after the big showdown with the prophets of Baal, he fled. And he had really pretty much a breakdown, right? And this is where we catch up with the story in 1 Kings 19. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Nahayim, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And listen to this. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. All those knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, God had reserved a remnant. Elijah, who's the man in the center of what God is doing in Israel at the time, is oblivious to the fact that God is doing his business because he figures, I'm doing God's business, and I'm the, you know, kind of the center of what God is doing. But in fact, God was doing other stuff. And he reserved 7,000 people who were faithful, who were true. Because, after all, a promise is a promise, right? A promise is a promise. Here's another example. Isaiah. He's living in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's condemning Israel for its disobedience. These poor guys. They had the dubious pleasure of having to, to announce God's judgment on a rebellious people. And that's what Isaiah had to do. This time he's in, this is the southern kingdom now. And he's basically saying, you need to repent. You need to come back to God. You need to get rid of all of your idol worship. You need to return to the one true God. And then he tells them, you're going to be taken as captives to Babylon. 
where you'll be enslaved. And this is God punishing you for your rebellion. But then he says this. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. God has and will retain a remnant because a promise is a promise. And he promised to Abraham an unconditional promise that all the world would be blessed through his offspring. And so, even though the southern kingdom, after the northern kingdom had been obliterated, essentially, for its wickedness, and there's still Judah, there's still part of Israel left, but they're going to get taken into captivity because of their evil and their unfaithfulness and their untrustworthiness. Isaiah says, there still will be a remnant maintained. God will maintain a remnant and they will come back. And even though Israel may, may number in the millions, there will be a remnant because I made a promise to Abraham and I will fulfill my promise that all the world will be blessed through his offspring. Finally, Malachi, another prophet, the last prophet before the New Testament starts, the last prophet before a period of 400 years of silence between the events of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Malachi, the people have come back from Babylon. There's a spiritual renewal. There's like, there's like revival. Jerusalem's rebuilt. The temple's rebuilt. Everybody's pumped. Everybody's excited for God. And then they become themselves. And they lose their way. And Malachi, this time it's his job to go say, look it. Return to God. You've lost your way. God wants to use you to fulfill his purposes. <coughs> and we read in Malachi 3 these words. After the punishment of Israel, after the events that Malachi predicted would happen to Israel where it would be punished for its rebellion, we read these words, God's words through Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit a refiner as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, 
as in former years. Then those who feared the Lord, having heard Malachi's words, that there would be a remnant preserved, they did this. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord God Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We have the names of the remnant that are the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. The servant who come to the temple to usher in a new covenant, Jesus Christ. But how did that start? It started with a remnant. A remnant of faithful people. We just went through the season. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth? Remember Joseph and Mary? Remember Simeon and Anna? They're the remnant. They're the ones that even though that generation would actually crucify Christ, would kill the Messiah, they're the remnant. They're faithful. They're trustworthy. And so God retains a remnant. You know, the Apostle Paul explains that even now God is preserving a remnant in the church age. In this age that we're in right now. The Apostle Paul had to explain to the Jews how the Gentiles could come into the covenant, the new covenant that Christ brought. And he had to explain, like, what's the status of of Abraham's offspring. Have, have they lost favor with God? Is, is God going to break his promise? Well, Abraham, or Paul writes very succinctly, very precisely about this. Paul writes, I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, and that means the present time, even today, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it can't be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as for an election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarch. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. A promise is a promise. I have made a promise. And so even though Abraham's offspring have in large part 
forsaken Christ, a remnant remains. While we, non-Jews, get to come into the covenant, the new covenant of Christ. We serve a trustworthy God who made a promise to Abraham. And even though it took the cooperation of a fallen race, us, humanity, who are wholly untrustworthy and unfaithful, he himself has maintained a remnant. Now, some of you folks in here are going to have trouble with what I'm talking about. Because you've been raised to believe that you choose. <laughs> that you are the person in the driver's seat. But what we're talking about here, folks, is this concept, this theology known as election. If you believe scripture about God maintaining a remnant, and what Paul says is that it's entirely by grace, not by any works in and of themselves, you have to believe that God, in his grace, has maintained a people through the millennia because he wanted to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham. Because a promise is a promise. And so, I would argue with folks who would argue that I decide what I do with Jesus. I would argue that God decides. <laughs> and yet, you decide, but it's only because it's so irresistible. <laughs> it's irresistible. You can't help but decide. Anyways, I digress. <coughs> What does the trustworthiness of God mean for you? Well, here's a promise that God makes to you. John 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at that last day. If you have believed in the gospel, you've given your heart to Christ. He's the Lord of your life. You have no fear. You should not be at all worried about your future. You can know with absolute certainty that the God who made a promise to Abraham and maintained a remnant so that Jesus Christ would be the realization a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, would bring blessing to the entire world. That same God promises you that he will bring you into eternity. And he will raise you on that last day so that you can be with him for eternity. He'll fulfill his commitment because a promise is a promise. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the threads that we find woven throughout Scripture in little weird places that we don't naturally go to, like the book of Malachi. We find gold woven through the tapestry of your plan of redemption. And we see that you are trustworthy, you are faithful, you will never go back on your word. And that a promise is a promise to you and you will never violate that. Your promises are true, you are trustworthy. But Lord, help us to take confidence in that. Help us to hold on to that as we live in a world that increasingly seems to reject you, increasingly calls into question truth, help us just to hold on to that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.